Hey, my name is Zach. For those of you that haven't got the chance to meet yet, I'm the lead pastor here. If you're new with us today or this is one of your first several times, we're so honored that you are here. We hope that you feel like you are home, that you feel like you're a part of the family, and that this is a day that builds your faith and helps you to know Jesus more. And if Antioch Dallas is your church home, it's just an honor to get to be your pastor, honor to get to walk with you in the purposes of God in our generation here in our city. And we are in week two of a teaching series called Hosting God's Presence. Turn to your neighbor and say, Hosting God's Presence. Okay, turn to your other neighbor and say, Hosting God's Presence. We're just going to get it in our spirits today. And our key verse for this series is from Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. I want to invite you to take out your Bibles, uh, pull them up on your phone, your tablet. If you didn't bring a Bible, there's one in the seat, uh, underneath the seat in front of you that you can take out. If you don't own a Bible, you can take that home as our guest or our gift to you. Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, this is Jesus himself speaking to the church in a particular city, the church at Laodicea. And he's speaking a word about his desire for them, his plans and his purposes for them. And it's from this verse that we get our, our teaching series that we're learning about Jesus speaking to them. And he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. So Jesus saying to the church, he said, hey, I want to be with you. I am knocking, I am calling, I want to come in and I want to dine with you. I want to feast with you. I want to spend time with you. I want to be with you. This is the desire of our king is to spend time with his people. For us to be in his presence and he to be near to us, us to be open to him, to allow him to draw near. And he's not speaking this word to non-believers, he's speaking this word to the church. We as the church, we need to hear this word over and over and over again. Because God desires to draw near to all of us. And the imagery that Jesus is using is he's using that of hosting like hosting a dinner party. He's saying, I've come over, I'm knocking on the door, I'm saying it's me, will you open up the door, will you let me in so that we can eat together? He's using an image of hosting. That's where we get the idea of hosting God's presence. And you might be like, well, that's a little bit confusing because isn't Jesus the king over all? And he is. And in his sovereignty, in his authority, in his wisdom and his power and his might, which we were praising him for, he has delegated authority and freedom and choice to individuals. He's entrusted us with a stewardship of our lives, of our hearts. You're not a robot. You and I are not pre-programmed just to kind of do whatever we've been programmed to do. There is free choice in the matter because God has entrusted that to us. In a similar way to a landlord would own the house but rent it out to a renter, right? That's that same image of God owns everything, and yet in his wisdom, he has entrusted you and me with free will over our lives, with the ability to choose him, to say, I want you to come in, or no, I don't want you to. And so this is why he's giving the image of hosting, 
Will you let me in? Will you open up to me with your free will, with your choice? Will you open the door of your heart to my voice? To the church, will we open the doors of our church, not just to the people of our city, but to the presence of Jesus in our midst? And it's an ongoing question. We don't ever move beyond this. We don't ever graduate to a more advanced level. This is it. This is the pinnacle. So he's talking about hosting. And then we say God's presence, right? Because Jesus is talking about, in a special and unique way, coming in to dine with them. And God is omnipresent. He is everywhere. If you're a believer, you believe in that. And at the same time, Scripture tells us there are times and places to people and locations where the omnipresent God makes his presence manifest, makes his presence apparent in dynamic ways, in ways that we sense and realize where it becomes distinct and tangible even. When you begin, people say we felt God's presence. God makes his presence known in discernible ways at times and places, and in fact, the story of Scripture is that God wants to dwell with his people. He wants his presence to be known. He wants to draw near or to use the image of Jesus, the words of Jesus. He wants to dine and eat with his people. He wants us to be in his presence. And so we're learning how to host God's presence as a community. Last week, we kind of began to talk about this, and my main question to you was, are you hungry for the presence of the Lord. Are you willing to open the door? Are you willing to respond to his voice to say, Jesus, I want you to come in. I want you to come and be with me. I want us as a church for you to come and be with us in my home. I want you to be there in my workplace, in my neighborhood. I want you to be there. That was the question that I gave you last week. Now, today we're going to move forward, not kind of just getting oriented to the passage and asking that question, but we're going to talk about, well, how in the world do you actually do that? How in the world do you host God's presence? Because it's got to be a little more complicated. There's got to be a little more to it than me saying, yes, God, I want you. So how do you actually learn to host God's presence? And the way I want to approach this with you is I want today to give six foundations, six foundational ideas that we need to understand, foundational truths, that if we can understand these truths next week, we can come back and build on it with means to experience or means to host, pathways to host God's presence. So today is all going to be about laying a good foundation, because if you don't have a good foundation, it's really hard to build something that lasts. If your foundation is, is, is leaning, wobbly, some of you might have cracked foundations in your home, right? And things lean, doors don't shut, doors get stuck, windows don't open the right way. You have to have a good foundation to be able to build. Next week, we're going to talk about pathways to hosting God's presence, but today, we need to lay a foundation. And as I was thinking about this topic and this message even today, I was remembering uh, some swimming pool experiences I've had as a parent. Now, one of the things that no one equipped me for in parenting uh, is that your kids will respond differently to water, one kid to another. That was a learning curve for me. Our oldest, uh, she, from the time that she was, uh, I mean, just first time we put her in the pool, she knew no fear. She loved the water. She would, if you weren't watching, just run and throw herself into the pool because she thought it was so much fun. 
And I remember she's probably one and a half at this point, maybe two. And we were on vacation in North Africa uh, by the Atlantic Ocean. And we were trying to go swimming in this pool. And yet it hadn't warmed up yet for summer. It was still that cold winter, spring type water where it kind of takes your breath away when you get in. But she was so set on, I want to get in this water. And so Christine and I, we kind of looked amongst ourselves and I drew the short straw, meaning dad has to go get in the freezing water uh, so that your daughter can swim. And so I remember trying to get into the water and it just being so cold. Like I think as you get older, you lose like your ability just to endure like cold. I mean, it was just like brutally cold. And I was like, Sparrow, I love you so much. I'm getting in this water. We're gonna have a good time. Now, her on the other hand, she just runs, jumps in. I mean, she's like, her skin is blue, but she doesn't care. She's having a great time. And we didn't stay that long. Don't worry about it. We, you know, we took care of her. But she just loved the water. She's always been just loved to swim. Now, my second child, he was the complete opposite. I wasn't prepared for this. If you even got him near the water, he started to, like, give you a stranglehold around your neck because he was so nervous about the pool. He would not want to leave your side. He would just grab onto you. There was no getting away from him. If you were even in the shallow end, the kitty end of the pool, he just did not trust that water. He was not interested in that water. It felt very foreign to him. Two kids, two very different responses. We got them both swim lessons to help the one who was just natural in the water grow in her abilities with some coaching and to help the one who it felt very unnatural, like, I just don't get this. We got him swim lessons so that he could learn and then develop confidence. And now you wouldn't be able to tell which one of them loves the water more. They both just go for it, right? Uh, and the swim lessons are very helpful in different ways for both of them. And we start talking about God's presence. I tell that story because I realize some of you in here are like my daughter as it relates to the pool. We start talking about God's presence and you're like, man, I am made for this. This is awesome. I just want to run and jump in. I don't care the temperature. This is gonna be great. And some of you are like my son, where you're like, oh, I don't know. I don't know if that's for me. I'm not one of those type of people. I just don't get that. So I start talking about hosting God's presence and you're proverbially like grabbing me around the neck and being like, please don't throw us in there. Okay, but you came today, so way to go. Either way, they both needed swim lessons. One, to take this passion and this gift that she had and develop it in a greater way. And some of you are so strong in this. Some of you are such uh, veterans of God's presence. Like you've spent time in his presence. And what my hope is today is that some of the things that we say the Lord would use, like swimming lessons, like they would just help your stroke become stronger, right? That you could enjoy God's presence more. And for those of you that are like, this is so new to me, I feel so uncomfortable, I don't know what you guys are talking about really, like this is all another language, I'm hoping that today gives you some stuff that will help you develop confidence to be able to enter into the Lord's presence. And the reason I want everyone to be able to enter in is number one, I believe this brings Jesus glory. I believe when his people host his presence, when we encounter him, when we see him as he is, it shows him off and brings him glory. And I think it is for your good. I believe his presence leads to your joy. 
His presence leads to your hope. His presence leads to fresh life being within you. His presence leads to being able to persevere in trials. And so I'm hoping that everybody gets something today for God's glory and our good. And our church has a calling on it. In fact, every church has a calling on it to host God's presence. And so we're learning how to do that. So here's the first foundation. And I'd encourage you to take notes because I imagine some of these you'll be like, I got that. And some of these you'll be like, you know, I've not thought about it like this. I got a little emotional as I gave these uh, principles in our staff run through. Uh, because this touches a really deep place in me. This is a, a, a passion of my life. Whether I was a pastor or not, this has been something I've been pursuing for 20 years. I can feel the tears coming now. Uh, so just, I'm not much of a crier, but if I cry some today, you'll know why. It just is very deep within me. Okay, foundation number one. You have to understand this to get started, is that Jesus is the greatest treasure, that Jesus himself is the greatest treasure of all. That we, when we come to the Lord, we're not coming to the Lord hoping that we get some blessings for other parts of our lives. I mean, I do hope you get blessed, but the greatest blessing is Jesus himself. God is the greatest treasure. He is it, period, full stop. You don't need to add anything else. If we have Jesus, we have everything. And if we miss him and have everything else, we have nothing. He is the greatest treasure. And as such, because he is the greatest treasure, prioritization to be in his presence should be our great desire. Because he is the greatest treasure, we should prioritize with our lives. Our desires should be, it's a priority for me to be in the presence of God. If you really connect that he's your treasure, then it's just natural. We gravitate toward that which we think is valuable. We rearrange our schedule around that which we think is important. And foundation number one, because Jesus is so awesome, the first foundation in hosting his presence is that there's a priority in my life, there's a priority in your life that's reflected in my choices, that's reflected in my habits, that's reflected in my schedule that says, Jesus, you are number one. I want to be in your presence. Not hit or miss, not last year and then kind of I got distracted, but no, this ongoing, passionate pursuit and value of the presence of Jesus. It's foundational. We see this in Exodus chapter 33, this is one of the first passages in Scripture where we get introduced to the idea of God's presence drawing near in unique ways. And Moses, the great man of God who's leading the people of Israel, we get backstage access to his life. We see what's going on. And at the center of his leadership was this deep encounter with the presence of the Lord, was this deep hosting of God's presence. And he ordered his life around it. So if you'll flip over in your Bible to the Old Testament, Exodus is the second book of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, we're in chapter 33. Chapter 33, Exodus 33, starting in verse 9. And we read about Moses, and it said that he went into the tent, what they called the tent of meeting. The place not where the people met, but the place where the people met God. He went into the tent of meeting. 
and the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance. That's the imagery that scripture uses to describe the presence of the Lord coming down like a cloud into that tent. And it would be there while the Lord spoke with Moses. And whenever the people saw the pillar standing at the entrance of the tent, they all stood and worshiped. When one person hosts the presence of God, it creates space for many to encounter the Lord. Each at the entrance of their tent, and the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. And then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Now skip down into verse 15. So you see this is a central part of Moses' life. This is something he's ordering his life around. And the Lord begins to speak to them that it's time to move up. It's time to move on. It's time to step into their destiny. It's time to go into a land flowing with milk and honey, the purpose for which he brought them out of Egypt. And Moses there in that place says this amazing thing that reflects our first foundation. Verse 15. You want to make sure you get this. Exodus 33, 15. Then Moses said to the Lord, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. What's he meaning? He's saying, God, even though there's a land flowing with milk and honey, uh, incredible riches, incredible food, incredible land, incredible destiny in front of us. If we can't have your presence going with us, we don't want that. We want your presence more than we want the blessings of the land. We want you to be with us. It's his great hunger and passion, right? Because he knew that God was the greatest treasure. And therefore, the prioritization of his life was not, man, let me just go kind of build this dream. But it was like, God, I want you. And if I can't have you, I don't want that dream. I want to be where you are. I want to be in your presence. And then he says, how will anyone know, God, that you are pleased with me and that you are pleased with your people unless you go with us? And so the way that the world was going to know that God was pleased with his people was his presence upon their lives. It was to be the distinguishing factor of the people of God, a people that hosted the presence of God. It was their priority. What else would distinguish me from all the other people on the face of the earth? Church, do you know that the thing that's meant to distinguish us, that's meant to distinguish us from every other faith, on the face of the earth that people should be able to see when they enter into our midst and enter into our lives, it's the presence of God marking our lives and our prioritization of his presence. So I think about this, and I think about the principle of firsts, right? You know whatever you do first so often sets your priority. The way we start the year, we always want to start the year on a good foot so it sets precedent for the rest of the year being well. Uh, you've read about people doing something called the miracle morning or your wake-up routine. Like the way you start your day sets the tone for the rest of the day. If you're into budgeting, you get your paycheck at the 1st or 15th or whatever, and you get on YNAB or Mint or your spreadsheet or whatever it is, and you give every dollar a place to go, and it's just how you start off on a good foot, Right? So question for our hearts, if we're honest, if we're honest, is God's presence really a priority in our lives? 
Is it, is it first? Is it something that we're like, man, this is first place on the list that I'm trying to order things around? And I know life is hard. I know many uh, here in our church have kids. I know many of you have jobs or school or other responsibilities that are, are meaningful and important, and it sometimes complicate our ability to control our own schedule. And yet, let's come back to where are we in our hearts And I want to speak to the parents in the room for just a moment. And maybe someday if you don't have kids, but you would aspire to have kids, I want you to hear this. I'm so passionate about this in my own home. If our kids just get that mom and dad are good, godly people, that will be a win. That will be good. If they get some biblical principles from being in our home, that's, that's a win. But I do not want my kids just to leave my house thinking, mom and dad are good, godly people, and they gave me a biblical foundation. I want my kids to see in Christina and myself that our greatest treasure was the presence of God. That the priority for our lives was not because we're particularly good or just we're kind of moral people. That's not our story. Our story is that Jesus is so good. And his presence is available to his people. And that's the thing that's the central part of our lives. And that's what I want my kids to see. And that's what I want your kids to see. By the way that we order our schedules. By the way that we choose what we do and don't do. What we allow and don't allow. What we model and don't model. I don't want our kids to grow up in homes where they see mom and dad in the presence of the Lord. Because he is their great joy. It's foundation number one. Foundation number two. I love this one. God desires to fill us and to fill the world with his presence. When I first got going learning about the presence of God, I didn't understand this. And it was so frustrating to me. The way I took it was that God's presence was very elusive. And I would hear people talk about it. And it was like you had to be in the right place at the right time, sing the right song, pray the right prayer. And then just maybe if you were free enough from sin, just maybe you would encounter the Lord's presence. It was like we were trying to twist his arm to make him come. But what I learned as I read scripture was that's not the story of scripture. The story of scripture is that God desires to fill you with his presence. The story of Scripture is that God desires to fill the whole world with his presence. We're not twisting his arm trying to get him to come and do something. His desire, he's the one knocking. He's the one calling. He's the one who wants to come and dine with us. We are responding to heaven's initiation with our lives. The issue is not a supply issue. It's not, there's just not much to go around. The issue is not a stinginess issue with God or that he's wanting you to jump through all these hoops. No, 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 no. And if you've heard that, I want to clarify for you, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that God is passionately pursuing mankind with a desire that we would live in his presence. So let that break down some of the false perceptions that we have. Habakkuk chapter 2 says this, For the earth, this is God's desire, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. How do the waters cover the sea? 
completely. Like, how do you even distinguish waters from sea? I don't know, right? And that's the point. God's desire is that the entire earth would be so covered with his presence, would be so filled with his glory, that the knowledge of him would be so abundant that it would just be hard to differentiate. Like, where is he not? He's just here. Our world is not like that right now, but it's not for lack of desire on God's part. Revelation 21, 14 speaks about heaven. And this is a central feature of heaven, is that God is dwelling with his people. Revelation 21, 14 says, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with him. Heaven is the place where God always gets what he wants, and what he wants is always our best. And there he's dwelling with his people. And we get the privilege as the people of Jesus of having eternity to come invade our lives now. That he wants to fill our lives, fill our church, fill our homes, fill our city, fill our nation, fill the nations of the earth with his presence. The challenge is the story that the Bible tells us and that we see play out all the time is not God stiff-arming people and making them jump through hoops, but it's people stiff-arming God. It's like, we don't want you here. We're indifferent. We want to do things our own way, on our own timetable. We want to get what we want. So often, that's the attitude and state of our hearts, right? We push him away instead of inviting him in. So I just want to give you good news that we're not trying to twist God's arm to do something that he doesn't want to do. This is what God desires to do. And we're trying to learn to respond to his initiation. This really impacted me and my early journey of God's presence because I would get so frustrated because I would hear about meetings and worship services and people that seemed to encounter his presence. And I felt like I was like just... I don't know, on a very different page. I, it just didn't work for me. I just felt so left out. And I remember just being so discouraged and praying. And this was new to me. It was not an everyday occurrence. It still is not an everyday occurrence. But as I prayed, there was this image that came into my mind of me sitting on a boat. The boat was immersed in sunlight, yet I had a parasol, you know those umbrella things? I had a parasol around my head and it was shut so around me it was dark and I realized as I meditated on this dream that the Lord was or this vision that the Lord was speaking to me and he was saying you think that just because what you see around you is dark it means that there's no light but my light is abundant and it's your unbelief it's functioning like that umbrella, and you're blaming me rather than taking responsibility for your own unbelief. You need to repent. Whew, conviction. I repented of unbelief, and that began like a multi-year journey of repenting of unbelief because I realized God's presence is open and available to us. Sometimes we're cut off uh, from our own choosing, not the desire of the Lord. That was really meaningful for me and significant for me in understanding God's heart. Foundation number three. Built on that, we're not chasing a cloud. We're not chasing a feeling. We are living our birthright. We're not chasing a cloud or chasing a feeling. We are living our birthright. If you start to hear people talk about the presence of the Lord, right, you'll hear people talk about, you know, we've got we've to chase him. We've got to go over here and do that, or we've got to go over there and do that. Or they'll talk about feeling God's presence. And I want you to feel God's presence. But we're not chasing a feeling. 
We're not chasing a cloud. We're living our birthright. And what I mean by that is this, that when you come into Christ, Christ comes into you. When you put your faith in Christ, he puts his presence within you. He puts his Holy Spirit within you. That is part of your birthright. That's what you get for being a child of God. Uh, John chapter 1 says Jesus gave us the rights to become children of God. This is one of the rights that go with being a child of God. We talk about being sons and daughters. Because you're a son, because you're a daughter, you have been given the spirit of the Lord. He dwells within you. Right? So when we're talking about hosting God's presence, I'm not, I don't need to run over here or run over there. I need to live from what I've already been given. This is yours in Christ. Galatians 2.20 says this, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Who lives in you? Christ lives in you. The presence of the Lord lives in you and in me if you are in Christ. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Now, if I ever got six-pack abs I would get a tattoo of this next verse on them. And I'll explain why in just a moment. I'm doing my sit-ups. I'm doing my crunches. I'm, I'm low carb, all that. I'm not there yet, but, but here we go. John 7, 37, Jesus speaking. And he stands up and he says in a loud voice, this is the last and greatest day of the feast. So for days on end, people have been feasting on everything the world has to offer. And then Jesus stands up and says, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Think about the significance of that. That would be like after Thanksgiving meal, when everyone has stuffed themselves and then eaten dessert on top of that, and it's kind of in that turkey coma, someone standing up and say, hey, if you're still hungry, come over to my house. Right? You're like, how are people still going to be hungry? And yet Jesus knows the things of this world do not fill us, that there's a hunger within us that the feasts of this world cannot satisfy. And so it says, to anyone who is thirsty, come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, now get this, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. So if I had six-pack abs, I'd get a river tattooed on them, just as an aside. But listen, what's he talking about? It says, uh, by this, he meant the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. So Jesus said, when you come to me, when you put your faith in me, when you respond to me, I'm going to put my spirit within you, and my spirit is going to flow like rivers of living water from within you. The Holy Spirit is in you. That's your birthright. That is our birthright. So when we begin to envision hosting God's presence, I do believe at times and places it seems like he comes from outside and from far away. But, but so often, the primary way that I experience the presence of God is this John 37, 7, 37, 39. It's the rivers of living water flowing within me, bubbling up from within me. And you begin to experience his presence. You have rivers, the old children's song, you have rivers of life flowing inside of you. Amen. Foundation number four, and this builds on it. God's presence is spiritually discerned. God's presence is spiritually discerned. And what I mean by that is when we start talking about God's presence, right? I remember early on hearing about this, and I was like, okay, so am I supposed to like 
feel something with my hand or hear something with my ears or, or like, is it like when I get goosebumps, is that God's presence? Like, but then I learned scripture tells us that God's presence, it, it maybe impact our physical bodies at times, but it's not discerned through our physical bodies. It's discerned through our spirit. It's discerned spiritually. Let me take you in this passage, 1 Corinthians 2, 13 through 14. And it said this, This is what we speak, not in words taught to us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit. So here we see that there are words and concepts and principles that are taught by the Spirit, not by human wisdom. Explaining spiritual realities with, spiritual, with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit, the person without the Holy Spirit, does not accept these things that come from the Spirit, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. Now, if you grew up in America or you grew up in Western civilization, we are all products of the Enlightenment, which tells us that the way that we take in the world is through our reason, through our physical senses. And yet when we look at Scripture, and if you're from another part of the world, this is more your default view, is to realize we're more than just physical beings. You are more than just a body and collection of atoms. You have a spirit. And God has placed his spirit in your spirit, and it's there at a spirit level that we discern God's presence. So the way practically that I like to think about it, when we get to heaven, we can find out 100%, but this is my own experience. I take that rivers of living water passage of the Holy Spirit welling up within me, being like rivers of living water. And when I'm trying to experience God's presence, when I'm trying to host his presence, I'm trying to shift out of just being lost in my head and into right here, into my spirit man. And there is where we learn to experience God's presence. It's spiritually discerned. Let me keep going with this. So I was so locked up in my head. I love to read. I'm more of an intellectual. At that time, I was more of a, of a thinker. I think I've evolved some, but at that time, it was just all up here. And so I would read biblical concepts, but it was like there was a barricade between my head and the rest of my life. So I would understand it up here, but it didn't impact me in a really deep way. I just kept feeling blocked off, blocked off, blocked off. And so I read this lady who I told you about last week, Jean Guyon, who talked about this method of prayer. And I was so hungry to experience God's presence. And she talked about taking God's word, and we'll go through this next week, and praying God's word. And instead of just trying to learn it in your head, which is important, trying to feed on it with your heart, trying to feed on it with your spirit. And so I would take this and I would go in my little apartment, had several roommates, no place to go except the closet. I read Jesus, prayed in his closet. So I went in to the closet and began to pray. And I would spend day after day, morning after morning, trying to feed on God's word and discern with my spirit the sweetness of it. And for a long time, nothing, 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 nothing. It just felt kind of like, what am I doing here? And then one day, a little trickle broke through. Next day, just slowly started to increase as I learned to experience life in a new dimension, a more biblical dimension than the one that I kind of came to the table with. So we have to learn to spiritually discern these things. Foundation number five, the foundation of our faith is not a feeling or an experience. It's the incarnation, the life, the cross, and resurrection of Jesus. 
Hugely important concept for this. If we miss this, you're going to be, man, I felt God when we sang that song. It was awesome. And then you don't feel God at some point in your life. You're like, I don't even know if God's real, right? We, we just base our feelings, and that's how we decide if God's real or not. That's a shaky place to be. Shaky place to be. It's like in marriage, we've been married now almost 17 years, which is crazy to think about. And for some of you, like, y'all are so old. And for some of you, like, y'all are so young. Seems a long time to us, uh, but hopefully we got 50 more in the tank. But so much of marriage is not you're just on the high all the time. So much of marriage is we made a commitment before the Lord one to another. And so we may have great days and we may have bad days. We have days where we're feeling it and days where we're not. But there's a commitment that's deeper than what we feel at any given time. And the same thing with the Lord. There's an opportunity for us that's deeper than a feeling. There's an opportunity for a foundation that's deeper than if you're having a spiritual high at any particular time or not. Acts 1-3, Jesus himself, as he's about to pour out the Spirit, he says this. Uh, the, the Scripture says, after his suffering, he presented himself to them, the disciples, and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. So make sure the way that Jesus uh, led people was giving them proofs that he was alive because the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, it's not a subjective experience, it's a historical fact. There is an empty tomb. You have to make sense of that. You can't just say, well, I opt out, I don't know. It, it is what it is. And you have to choose whether to respond or not. But that's a fact, and that's the foundation of our faith, not anything that I might feel in any particular environment or song or whatever, we want those things, but that's not our foundation. And then lastly, and I'm gonna close with this, foundation number six, and this will lead us into next week. There are some reliable means that the Lord has given us to meet with him. Every time we go out in public with, my, with our kids, whether it's to the Richardson Christmas Village, it's to North Park Mall, it's to wherever, uh, where's Mavericks, uh, the American Airlines Arena, wherever it is, we always say to our kids, Hey, if somehow we get separated, just come find me right here. And we set like a meeting spot. You can find me right here. I want them to know that if they're ever feeling disconnected from me, if they ever got turned around, they don't know where dad is. I want them to know, hey, I can just come back right here and dad's going to be there. And there are places in scripture where the Lord has shown us, hey, you ever get disconnected, you ever feel lost, you ever feel like you're spinning around, life is throwing you for a loop, just, just come meet me here. I'll, I'll be here, right? So often we're not taught that God's presence is reliable. We're taught that it's just this ethereal thing, but the Lord is clear in his word. There are things, pathways that we have that we can count on that God will meet us there. This is where I'm gonna be if you get turned around. And I wanna take you into those next week. I would like to lead us in those next week, but we need the foundations of God's character to be able to build on with the pathways to his presence. So I want to invite you to stand. Again, we'll continue this in to next week, but we have some stuff to respond to and go to the Lord with even now. So the way we're going to go to the Lord is we're going to take communion together, and I would encourage you as we're going to the Lord 
that you take these foundations and you just begin to pray. What in here is God speaking to you from his word or through these different points? What is he speaking to you? What, what new foundation is he laying or place that he's strengthening? Maybe you're getting some peers put in some parts of your foundation that have been wobbly today. So we're going to come forward in just a moment to take communion. But before we do that, I want to just say for a moment, if you're here today and we're talking about the presence of the Lord and you're like, I don't even know that I know Jesus. I don't know that I've ever made the choice to follow him, to make him Lord of my life. I want to give you that opportunity today. I want to make sure that if this is your first time or you're trying to come back to church in a long time, that you hear clearly the gospel of Jesus because this is good news. And the good news is this, God created you for a relationship with him. He created every person on the planet for a relationship with him and that we would thrive and our planet would flourish. Mankind turned from God's, what the Bible calls sin. We said, we don't want you to be our king. We don't want you to be our creator. We wanna do life on our own terms, make our own way. When we did that, when we turned from God, we reaped the after effects of that, which is the brokenness and pain and dysfunction that you see in the world around us and that you see within your own heart. But God loved us so much, he didn't leave us in our sin, he didn't leave us in our rebellion, he didn't leave us in our pain, but he came in Jesus. Jesus God with skin on. And he came to the planet and he lived a perfect life motivated by love for God and love for you. And he went to the cross to die for your sin, to take the pain and the weight and the penalty of your sin upon himself. And then he rose again on the third day to give you new life. And the way we receive that new life is by placing our trust in Jesus and saying, I want to follow you. I repent of my old ways. I want to go with you like it was in the beginning. And then Jesus leads us back in a process of restoration into who God has designed us to be, into that place of flourishing. And if you're here today and you've never said, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I don't wanna be in the driver's seat anymore. I want you in the driver's seat. Or maybe you made that decision a long time ago and you got off course and you're trying to make your way back to God. I wanna give you the opportunity in just a moment to raise your hand we're not going to call you up on stage. No one's going to turn around and look at you. It's just an opportunity for you to respond in faith to the Lord. So if I get everyone to bow their heads and close their eyes. And if that's you, if you uh, want to make Jesus the Lord of your life, I just want to invite you to raise your hand. Or if you want to recommit your life to him, I'm just going to lead you in a short prayer. If that's you, if you go ahead and raise your hand, praise God. Praise God. Praise God. I'm going to lead us in a prayer in church. I'd encourage you to pray along with me. This is a great prayer for all of us. Jesus, you're amazing. Thank you that you love me. Thank you that you died for me on the cross. Thank you that you rose again on the third day to give me new life. I choose to follow you today and each and every day for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. If you uh, made that choice with the Lord for the first time, such a significant step. We're so excited for you. And for all of us, we get the opportunity now to come to the Lord's table. When you come forward, the worship team is gonna lead us. You can take the bread and the cup, return to your seat. And when you're ready, take communion. And let's respond to what the Lord is speaking to us today. You can come when you're ready.
Let's go.